Adam Crowley Show. Wow, wow, is it very nice? ESPN Pittsburgh on 970 AM and 106.3 FM. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Adam Crowley not here for his show today. That's okay, though. Occasionally, when Adam Crowley is ill or just playing hooky, you get an upgrade. You trade in your uh, Volvo for a Mercedes. You trade in your uh, On City for a Bud Light. Maybe even a $4 uh, aluminum pint of Bud Light, which you can get, by the way. If you come and join us here for the Adam Crowley Show at Terrace on the 5th, follow them on the Twitter machine at Terrace underscore on underscore 5th. Okay, about the upgrade. Let's be honest. Y'all like Adam. I like Adam. He's a, he's a friend. He's one of the few people in this industry. I will actually say I'm not going to come get a drink with you, but I would think about it. Still. Adam Crowley for Rob Rossi, that's like getting McCutcheon for a bucket of golf balls. Which is kind of what happened. Rob Rossi in for Adam Crowley here today from 4 to 7 p.m. on ESPN Pittsburgh. The number to call, 412-922-2874. Again, 412-922-2874. The Adam Crowley Show, I'm in. Adam's out. He's sick. We wish him well. Um... I want to address this right off the top because I feel it's very important uh, because we are mentioning Adam and his illness. Uh, I wasn't aware of this. Apparently, Adam pledged to have a six-pack by, what, last Friday? Yeah, I believe it was last Friday. Listening to Tom here, joining me here at Terrace on the 5th. Um, Explain this to me now. He willingly engaged in this uh, bit of... Oh, he not only willingly engaged in it, it was all his idea. Now, why, you, you've known Adam for how long? About six months now. Okay. That's long enough. Mo- more than most people will give him in terms of time. Why would Adam Crowley think he's going to have a six-pack? Especially in the dead of winter. Yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. I think he's just a really proud guy, you know? He really believed in himself, and he bet on himself, and why, he lost that bet. Why would Adam Crowley feel the need to be proud? I, I He's don't accomplished have, very little. I don't have the answers to you for that one. He has a 4 to 7 p.m. radio show in the afternoon. The best 4 to 7 the, radio show. Right, but all of his fill-ins have a higher profile than him. Can't argue that. He might be able to pull off a one-pack, like as in... I think he's got two, to be fair. Two, I think okay. he got two right Well, now. look, I'm not one to, to be body-shaming, but um, I just feel that maybe Adam was a, a little bit in over his head. But I'm happy to report that, because you're telling me, Tom, he's going to get a naval ring tomorrow. He is. I think we decided on him getting a pit script. Belly naval ring. Naval ring, yeah. Wow. Now... Was Adam's wife consulted on this? I'm not sure about that one. I'm sure she's really happy about it, though. Did we decide that a navel ring would be better than, say, a, a tattoo on that area? I think the navel ring was actually my idea, yeah, okay. if I come back to it. We were all pitching ideas back and forth on what his punishment should be, and we just settled on not that Not to tell you how to do your job, but I've been known to um, punish people for less crimes than not having a six-pack. Next time Adam does this... Tramp stamp. Tramp stamp? 
Yes. Okay, we'll but keep none, that in mind. This, we'll keep those in the files. this school in Oakland logo. He's a proud WVU alum. We shouldn't deface his body. The Lord has already done that enough. Agreed. All right, so we wish the best to Adam Crowley. Uh, come down and join us here at Terrace on the 5th. They have some great drink specials. I mentioned the $4 aluminum pints of Bud Light. They also have a $3.50 draft Bud Light. So you can get your adult beverage on, and it's a good time to do it because, let's face it, winter is back. Even if just for one day, Old Man Winter has said, screw you, Pittsburgh, I'm coming back and I'm coming strong. And so are the Penguins. Let's not forget, they play tonight, uh, start the unofficial second half of the 2017-18 season, and they started against a foe that should be somewhat familiar to all the Johnny-come-lately hockey fans in Pittsburgh. The San Jose Sharks, you might remember them from the Stanley Cup Final a few years ago. Uh, They're back in town. Joe Thornton won't be playing in this game. But the San Jose Sharks, an interesting test for the Penguins because, let's face it, they play a style that if they can, uh, to borrow a phrase from former coach Dan Bowsma, get to their game. Sorry, sorry, I'm just saying. Uh, The Sharks like to use their defensemen a lot to create offensive chances. You heard Mike Sullivan, the Penguins coach, talk about that today. This is going to be a real test of the Penguins defensively. And we're going to see if the Penguins can successfully, on home ice, against a Western Conference foe that stylistically is built to give them problems. Says that the Sharks aren't going to play a speed game. Can the Penguins continue to sort of impose their stylistic will on opponents as they had started to do before the All-Star break? Again, the San Jose Sharks are going to want to turn this into a very rugged hockey game from the standpoint of they're going to put the pucks back to their defensemen. Those defensemen do a great job of getting pucks through. The Sharks are going to battle for position, and where they are very skilled is at deflecting pucks, tipping pucks on the net. Now, the reason I bring that up, one, that is something when a team can do that can give the Penguins problems, especially in the regular season where, let's face it, the Penguins would be foolish to try to go all in on blocking everything. There's a time and place for that. It's called Stanley Cup playoffs. But when you are in such a precarious position, as many teams in this division, not named the Washington Capitals, are, seems like every team separated by about three or four points, at least a group of about five of them, right? Penguins are close second place or close to not being in the playoffs. So a little more urgency as the unofficial start of the second half of the season kicks off. But why should you regular sports fan listening to the Adam Crowley Show here on ESPN Pittsburgh, tuning in and hearing the sweet sounds of Rob Rossi, who can be followed on Twitter at real underscore Rob Rossi. Also follow my parent company, 535 Media, on Twitter. Uh, Listen, why should you be concerned about this? I don't know if you should be concerned. Probably pay more attention to the person driving in front of you, because most likely they're freaking out over an inch and a half of snow and don't know what they're doing. And they're probably very old. And they're likely driving on a city street that hasn't been cleared. But, I digress. You should be concerned if you're a Penguin fan, because this is the first game we're going to see Matt Murray in quite some time. And a goaltender will tell you, let me see the shots and I'll be fine. The San Jose Sharks don't want to let you see the shots. Their whole approach offensively is to create screens, create traffic, congest those areas in front of Matt Murray, and try to generate offense from the blue line, get the pucks through, chip, deflect, redirect. Okay, 
All of these things. Now, that's a challenge for Matt Murray. Hasn't played in a while. First game back since his father's death in terms of starting. Wishing him all the best. But this is a unique situation for Matt Murray to face coming out of the shoot. And I think it's a good challenge for him because something about Matt Murray, when he's playing well, he's tracking the puck. And he's probably as good as any goaltender in the National Hockey League when it comes to tracking the puck. I mean, this has no demeaning commentary on his athleticism. But Matt Murray is not Marc-Andre Fleury, or even, let's be honest, Casey DeSmith, when it comes to being an athletic marvel in net. Where Matt Murray excels is anticipating and reading, using his film study, his video review, to understand where the puck's going to go. He is as close as Pittsburgh has seen to an intellect-first goalie, maybe ever. Now, when you combine that with his athleticism, when you combine that with his calm under pressure, you combine that with his competitiveness, it creates what we've seen from Matt Murray in the Stanley Cup playoffs the past two years, which is goaltending excellence. Frankly, goaltending excellence, unlike anything we've seen in Pittsburgh at such a young age, at such an early point in a career. So, normally I would tell you, tracking the puck through traffic is something Matt Murray is custom-built for. And I'll tell you that going forward. But tonight, this is his challenge coming off of an extended stretch of not playing. And this is important for two reasons. One, Matt Murray is the most important player the Penguins have if they are going to chase the Stanley Cup for a third time in a row. He doesn't have to be their best player, but he has to play And he has to play at the level he did in the Stanley Cup playoffs the last two years. Probably for longer stretches than he did in the Stanley Cup playoffs the last two years. And that's because this Penguin team, as well as they played entering the All-Star break, is again going to be in a stiff competition for playoff qualification. And also, let's not forget... Because they've played so much hockey, this is a team that has less in the tank than almost any team going into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Just a fact. I'm not making an excuse for them. Just a fact. not saying the Penguins are running on fumes, but if they got half a tank of gaffes left, that's all they got. They're not going to be able to pull into the pump and recharge. And when you're that team you're often going to have to rely on your goaltender to steal you some games to win series. And it's going to take four of those series to win the Stanley Cup again. So I don't think Matt Murray has to be the best player, because I don't know if it's possible to be the best player on a Penguins team that has Crosby and Malkin, if you're not Crosby or Malkin. 
But he's going to have to be great. And he can be. And I, like Mike Sullivan, am confident that Matt Murray's return to greatness begins tonight against the San Jose Sharks. The second reason that's important is this. This Penguin team defensively, this Penguin team defensively, and I don't mean their defense core, I just mean defensively, we're not going to see them at their defensive peak probably until we get closer to the playoffs. Because, again, that gas tank is only half full. So Matt Murray's going to have to have some games where I don't think he has to stand on his head. But he's definitely going to have to lean on his shoulder. Okay? Matt Murray's the most important Penguins player the rest of this season. Has to stay healthy. Has to work himself into a rhythm. Has to be there for the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Because he's the difference maker. Now, Matt Murray as the difference maker is something that Anybody who can go on to a radio show in this town can tell you. But I'm not anybody. Nobody's covered the Pittsburgh Penguins like Rob Rossi has covered the Pittsburgh Penguins over the last decade plus. And there's another player on this Penguin roster who is just a notch below Murray in terms of importance. And you might not be thinking about it because last year, the Penguins actually won without him. And that's had a lot of you thinking that maybe the Penguins can keep winning without one of their best players reaching his level. And the answer is no, they cannot. Let's go back to who's in town, the San Jose Sharks. Let's think about the 2016 Stanley Cup playoffs. Didn't the Penguins look like a class above everybody else? New York Rangers, they blew them out of the water in round one. Tough series against the Capitals, but let's face it, it was a more comfortable series victory than the one the, pre- the next year against Washington. Eastern Conference Final went to seven games, but the Penguins were dominant. Tampa Bay's goaltending, Vasilevsky, was incredible in that series. Kept Tampa Bay in that series. And the Stanley Cup Final, quite frankly, the Penguins were dominant enough to sweep that. A couple of bad periods by Matt Murray are the reason that wasn't a sweep. Now let's think about last year. Tough series against Columbus. Seven games against the Capitals, and let's face it, Marc-Andre Fleury had to stand on his head game seven. Penguins almost blew a 3-1 lead in that series. Ottawa had them. Ottawa had them. Up 2-1. If Matt Murray's not the guy they turn to to stave momentum, I'm not sure the Penguins get back to the Cup Final. And by the way, did anybody think going into that third period against Nashville in game six last year that this thing might not be going seven? Now, the Penguins won, and all credit to them. It was one of the most resilient performances we've ever seen a Pittsburgh team have. But the difference between a dominant 2016 Stanley Cup championship and a 
2017 was one Mr. Christopher Latang. And when we come back here on ESPN Pittsburgh, when we come back to Terrace on the 5th for the Adam Crowley Show, I, guest host Rob Rossi, am going to tell you why one Christopher Latang is just a notch below Matt Murray in terms of being the key to the three-peat. Adam Crowley is sick, and you're feeling better because Rob Rossi's in form. So, welcome to the Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Number to call if you want to get in, 412-922-2874, 412-922-2874. Better yet, why don't you come down here to Terrace on the 5th. Terrace on the 5th has for you, to get ready for this Penguin game, listen to this, 350 Draft Bud Lights or $4 aluminum pints of Bud Light. So, hey, it's a cold day. Get a little warm. Get ready for some Penguins hockey. Now, before we uh, signed off last segment, I was talking to you about Matt Murray being the most important player for the Penguins in this second half of the National Hockey League season. Now, that's true, but only by a slim margin. There's this guy named Chris Letang who you might remember. Uh, when he's right, he's as dynamic a defenseman as any in the National Hockey League. We just haven't seen Chris right consistently like we were spoiled to see for a while. Remember, injury prevented him from finishing last season. Did not play in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Somehow the Penguins still won the Stanley Cup without a guy who the year before was my number one vote in the ballot that I cast for the Conn Smythe. So think about that. The guy I think was the best player, the most valuable player of the Penguins 2016 Stanley Cup run wasn't Available and they still won the Stanley Cup last year. I'll be honest, when I went back and rewatched the Stanley Cup playoffs, I still don't believe it. But what I don't believe at all is that the Pittsburgh Penguins can win the Stanley Cup again, win a ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth consecutive best-of-seven series in the most grueling, demanding, emotionally distressing, and physically taxing tournament in the world without Chris Letang getting back to being Chris Letang. And by that I mean a guy who can impact the game with un matched skating ability for a player at his position with nearly unrivaled offensive instincts and skill and a deceptive defensive proficiency that has never been appreciated in Pittsburgh. Now Chris Letang 
should have expected to have time required to play into form. And I'm not really worried about Chris Letang. Coming into this season, if you'd have said, Rob, can I ask you a hockey question? On the off chance that I would have said yes, my answer would have been to the question, when are you expecting Chris Letang to look like Chris Letang again? The answer to that question would have been, so long as it happens before the Penguins lose a fourth game in the Stanley Cup playoffs, I'm fine. I'm not even saying Chris Letang has to look like himself by game one of the postseason. I'm just saying... It has to happen before the Penguins lose a fourth game of a series. But, we are seeing this slow return to form of Chris Letang. And we're all wondering the same thing. When does it become consistent? When do we see that skating ability that Chris Letang has? That penchant for being halfway into the offensive zone, and then racing back and making up ground and evening numbers up for the Penguins defensively. When do we see Chris Letang on the power play being able to, with his skating ability, force teams to choose between keeping an eye on him and Crosby and Malkin while Phil Kessel carries the puck up? Because they know Chris Letang can get that shot through. Not the hardest shot in the Penguins. Certainly not the hottest shot in the league from a defenseman, but really quick and really good at getting through. Okay? When do we see him being able to eat minutes, absorb minutes, that allows Mike Sullivan, that allows the Penguins coaching staff to play almost anybody with Chris Letang as a defense pairing partner, right? When do we see that? Because Chris Letang can eat 30 minutes a game. There aren't a lot of guys that can do that. Greatest Justin Schultz, Brian Dumont, and Ole Mata have been this year. They've been available. Can't eat those minutes like that. When do we see that? And I don't know when the answer is. I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm not going to sweat it in January or February or even March. If we get to April and we haven't seen it too consistently, then I'd be like, okay, that's, that's troubling. But, I do think one of the few people that know the Penguins and know this sport better than I do is the man behind that bench, authorized with the authority to make decisions about the lineup. That's Mike Sullivan. And at the morning skate, or after the morning skate, I should say, at PPG Paints Arena today, I asked Mike Sullivan about Christopher Letang's slow burn to brilliance, and what we're seeing versus what the expectations were. Take a listen to his response. Well, we knew we knew it was going to be an adjustment process. It was, you know, Tanger missed a lot of time. He had a very serious injury, uh, and he missed a lot of time. And that's never an easy thing for a player uh, to come back in the best league in the world. And we have such high expectations of Tanger because he's such an elite defenseman. Uh, I think Tanger's had 
he's shown signs of uh, of capturing his elite game, um, and there's been levels of, of inconsistency throughout the, the the first part of the season. But but we think that there's some traction there. We think he's improving with with every game that he plays. Uh, now you know it, it's it tends to you know, he, he might have a couple of really solid games and then have one that, he, that he'd like to be better in, for example. But we still believe that we're, he's, he's trending the right way. And, and I think that's the most important takeaway is that he's trending the right way. And, you know, him and I talked yesterday, and I believe he's going to have a great second half. And he's, uh, I, my hope is, is that he gets a big boost of confidence coming back from the All-Star game. And, uh, and he's ex- I know he's excited about about you know, moving forward and, and being a big part of this team's success moving forward. Uh, but certainly the challenge that he's had in front of him this year uh, has been has been difficult. And I, I don't think I don't think people understand how hard it how hard it's been. He's a proud guy. He wants to help this team win and he wants to be at his best each and every night. Uh, but we believe as a coaching staff that that he's certainly trending in the right direction. Mike Sullivan, the Penguins head coach on Number one defenseman Christopher Latang. Now, here's the thing: what stood out to you about that answer? To me, it was the part where Mike Sullivan said, "Chris and I had a talk yesterday." Now, Mike Sullivan is a masterful orator, a brilliant messenger. Rarely can I remember since he became the Penguins coach has he offered an answer with a detail that he wasn't comfortable having out there. And to that question that I asked him this morning, Mike Sullivan offered the detail, Tanger and I had a conversation yesterday. Followed it up with, I believe he's going to have a great second half. Now I don't know what Chris Latang could have said to Mike Sullivan in that conversation, to lead Mike Sullivan to believe that. Not that I don't think Mike Sullivan could have left that conversation believing that, but probably he went into that conversation believing that. But I do think this. I think we would be derelict of duty as reporters to not notice that there seem to be times that Mike Sullivan's driven a little bit batty by Chris Letang. Every once in a while, those AT&T sports network cameras catch something Chris Letang's done where you kind of get that Mike Sullivan stare, the one that looks like it could cut through the ice that was probably on your sidewalk this morning. The Mike Sullivan stare, the one that makes you feel like Bill Belichick's a cheery snowman of an individual. The Mike Sullivan stare, you know, the one that the United States might really call upon if things get tough with North Korea. Just have Sully stare. That stare scares me. Like, as a member of the media, when you're asking a question and Mike Sullivan doesn't like it and he gives you that stare, you're thinking, like, this could be it. Kiss the wife and kids goodbye, I'm done. He might just stare me into submission. Seems to me, again, just watching, 
And Mike Sullivan has that stare reserved a little more for Chris Letang than any of the great Penguin players. But, I will say this. I think it's because Chris Letang is like that stallion, man. He's this marvelous creature who can do these majestical things. And there's a part of you that wants to tame him. But then you kind of realize, maybe we'll live a little bit without wildness of the stallion because that stallion can do things other horses can't, right? Now, Sidney Crosby's the heart. Evgeny Malkin's the soul. And Phil Kessel's the... Oh, gosh, what is Phil Kessel? The ethereal genius. I know it's not a perfect analogy, but... Chris Letang is sort of the, well, he's the stallion. He's the giddy-up of these penguins, right? And I think you want to let him keep giddying up. I think what Mike Sullivan is saying, if I, if I dare read between the lines of his answer to my question today, is I had a good talk with Chris Letang, and we've come to an agreement. In order for him to prevent me from losing all of my hair this season, I'm going to let that wild stallion keep getting up. I just want him to know that we still have the restraints. And we'll pull them. But maybe we won't pull them as much if it means him getting upping to the place Chris Letang can go. Did I just do a horse analogy that entire way? For penguins. Pretty good. All right, this is the Adam Crowley Show. I am Rob Rossi filling in for Adam Phone number is 412-922-2874. We're coming to you live from Terrace on the 5th. But when we come back, one of the finest columnists in all of North America, Bruce, Bruce, excuse me, Bruce, Bruce Arthur of the Toronto Star talking Yarmir Yager here on ESPN Pittsburgh. All right, we're back. I take uh, umbrage with that education comment. Although, i got to be honest, when I went to West Virginia University, I think the standards are a little bit higher for education than when Adam Crowley was allowed in. Um, Adam Crowley is out today, ill, although he might just be preparing to have his belly button pierced because he lost a bet. I, I don't know. I just show up. Anyway, this is the Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. I am Rob Rossi. Let's be honest, a considerable upgrade to the normal host. You can join me down here on Terrace on the 5th. We got $4 aluminum pints of Bud Light and 350 drafts of Bud Light. I know my next guest would like that uh, because he's Canadian, and I'm not uh, falling into a stereotype here because I've actually hung out with enough Canadians in my beloved hometown to know that they often come here to drink and, and embarrass me with how much better they are at drinking than me. So I welcome to you a man I have described often, wherever I've spoken, as the finest columnist in North America, and I genuinely believe that, but he's also a good friend, so I don't mind uh, blowing some smoke in his direction. You know him from the Toronto Star, Bruce Arthur. Bruce, hi. Rob, you say that every time, and every time I correct you, that I'm not, um, but I appreciate the kind words, and I will say that I, I was an early adopter of enjoying Pittsburgh, and as Pittsburgh has now had this restaurant renaissance, and it's had this kind of new investment in the downtown. I appreciate it even more, but I always say to people, go see Pittsburgh. It's a beautiful town full of great people. Bruce, I have a question for you. In Toronto, one of my favorite cities, what would a pint of beer cost you? 
If you're going downtown, you're looking at like an eight to ten dollar beer. Is probably this is why at. you people love Pittsburgh because <laughs> we are such an affordable drinking town. Well, there is the American dollar, but other than that, Milwaukee is going to be better value, I would say. Bruce Arthur, my guest, uh, you know him from his work with the Toronto Star. Also, if you are a uh, frequent viewer of TSN, follow him on the magic machine that is Twitter. And I say that in jest, uh, at Bruce underscore Arthur. Bruce, you wrote a great column about Yarmir Yager. Really enjoyed it, uh, about him wanting to play forever. I guess the starting question I have for you is, what was your first thought when you realized that Yarmir Yager isn't likely to play in the NHL again? Well, we'd all kind of been waiting for it, right? But we've been waiting for it for a really long time. Like, uh, the, the opening quote I used in that piece is Yager saying, I feel the way a 70-year-old feels, happy for every day on this earth. That's how I feel about playing. That was six years ago. Yeah. Like, the fact that he got to 45, he became an eternal feeling thing. Like, someone who's in, in your life. The NHL is a little over 100 years old. Yarmir Yager played for 24 years. Yeah. So... It was an inevitability he was going to come to an end. And you could see that in Calgary he wasn't fully healthy. His speed has really, like, one of the genius things about Patrick Marlowe here in Toronto is at his age he's still fast. Like, he's played a ton of games, and he's still as fast as anybody on the ice. Yager slowed down, as most people do. And At 45, though, a... I mean, it took him to about 44 until the skating became a hindrance. He was so good at everything else that the skating which I don't think has really been there since he returned in 2012, it took until about 44 until it really impacted him, Bruce. Well, Yager, you're right. Like In some ways, Yager was an argument that speed isn't everything, even in this NHL, because between his size, his puck handling, his vision, his ability to read angles, I looked it up. He led both one New Jersey team and one Florida team in scoring after he turned 40. And that's... That's not something that people do in a league where the league gets faster every year and all, all you hear is that speed, 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 speed. And what Yager was, was the kind of residue of, of genius because he is really, he's one of the defining players of his era. Like, and in Pittsburgh, that means he's at best the third best player to play there in the last 25 years, uh, last 30 years. But, ever. He's, he's in the <laughs> third best the player five. ever here. I mean, and it's only because Crosby's won a third. Cup and a second con Smythe. I mean, that's it. Took Crosby the, of the last talking with Bruce Arthur on ESPN Radio, uh, and I want to apologize, Bruce, for cutting you off. But that's what's interesting to me about Yarmir Yager in Pittsburgh. He last played here in May of 2001. The world was a completely different place in May of 2001, mm-hmm. and it took the last two postseasons by Sidney Crosby, which may be historic when we talk about two consecutive postseason performances by one player, it took that to elevate Crosby past Yager, which is actually a testament to how great Yager was here. Well, and Yager also took three, three years to go bum around the KHL. Um, but he was at various, like there were a lot of years where Yager wasn't the best player in the game. I found one thing interesting. He won one hard trophy in his career. He won three Ted Lindsay's, which are voted on by the players. By the That's players fascinating. So three times the players said, this guy's the best player in hockey, and once the media did. And part of that is Yager. Yager could be, he could come off as arrogant. He could come off as, as dismissive. And, and sometimes that was absolutely true. And the thing with dealing with him over years, and you know this, like there are a lot of sides to Yager. 
There are moods to Yaramir Yager. He has almost as many personalities as I do, Bruce. Yeah, and the reasons for them is always the interesting thing to me, is he grew up as a, as a farm boy without a farm, right? Because the communists basically took all the farm property right. of his childhood home. He grew up as a worker with a father who yelled at him all the time. He was a genius hockey player from the time he started. Um, and when he came to North America, he was a lonely kid. Like, he really he really missed the friends he grew up with. They yeah. were back still behind the, uh, not behind the Iron Curtain, but back still in, in the Czech Republic. Um, and he would say, he, there's that great column that Joe Starkey wrote, uh, I think in 2001 when he was traded, is that he, he would say that he pretended to be a strong guy. He pretended to be a tough guy because otherwise people would take advantage of him. He had a lot of feelings. And between that and an interview he gave to Ray Ferraro about a year ago, he said to Ray, one of the reasons he worked so hard is that he thought the worst feeling in the world was when you were clearly the best player, and he was a lot, and everyone would be looking to you and relying on you, looking to you to deliver. And there were nights where you knew you didn't have it. He called that the worst feeling in the world and something that really bothered him. And he said that when he left for the KHL, part of it was that he got tired of that pressure in the NHL. And that, to me, is interesting because Yager is he's one of the top ten players ever, probably. Right. But he's also a guy who was in arguably as comfortable or more comfortable being the number two. Because that's how he started, right? He started with probably the most talented hockey player ever on his team. And as much as Yager was a, re- a genius right up until and, a, and a, a, a time as the best player in the league until the time he went to the KHL, when he came back, he was a really happy guy. Right. And because he'd learned to be a guy who just loved work, loved teaching young players, loved devoting himself to the game. Wasn't the man anymore. And it was a happy place for him to be. Bruce Arthur, my guest here. Follow him at Bruce underscore Arthur. He uh, penned another fine column for the Toronto Star. This one about Yarmir Yager. You're listening to ESPN Pittsburgh, the Adam Crowley Show. I'm Rob Rossi in for Adam, coming to you from Terrace on the 5th here, right across from PPG Paints Arena. Bruce, you know, I covered the Yager watch, the first one. Uh, it was a, an incredible story for about two weeks. I was always struck by the feeling that in 2012, I think Yarmir Yager wanted to play for the Penguins. And I don't think Ray Shiro wanted him to play for the Penguins. I don't think he fit into Ray's idea of a team. And I think Ray was thinking of the old Yarmir Yager, not the guy that came back to the league that year, who was a happy guy, who was by all accounts a great teammate. And... As great as the Penguins have been the last two years, and maybe they needed to go through what they went through from 2012 to 2015 to get back on top, there is a part of me that wonders if Yager had been introduced into that dynamic of that talented team that seemed to underachieve, if they might have been able to push through. Because I think he was still a good enough hockey player at that point to help them, and I think he might have been a big enough presence to get them out of sort of a... A, a darkness that they allowed to creep in too quickly. I wonder what your thoughts are, because you were around that team a lot, too. I was, and that's a, that's a really interesting way to put it. Like, you're right. There was there was times when it felt like, when I would come to Pittsburgh and I'd deal with that team, that the weight of expectation was on their shoulders every year, and it wasn't always, didn't always sit comfortably. Because I, mean, I, I remember talking to Ray Shearer and saying, do you feel extra pressure because you have the, the careers of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin? kind of in your hands, he said, absolutely I did. And I think that extended. There was there was a responsibility to maximize that error, and then when it didn't happen, it was it was a tough place. 
One thing with Yager is at every stop, and there were a lot of stops when he came yeah. back, New Jersey, Dallas, Boston, Philadelphia, uh, Florida, and in the end, Calgary. Like he, he went a lot of places, but everywhere he went, the young players raved about him. And the young, they would do the Yarmer Yarger hockey school, right? Late night skates with ankle weights and, and weighted vests and all this stuff. And he really had a fidelity to the game, which, which guys loved. And guys just loved that he was just another guy and a funny one. Like Yager, when he, when he, I love this, this line when, when the, he got the point to put him into second place all time, he said, I was, you know, I was thinking it would be a, a beautiful assist or a beautiful goal. But it went in off my ass, right? <laughs> like that was that was Yogg's. And yeah, he, I think he could he can he could lighten up rooms. And the only problem is 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 when he wasn't going, there still was that old moody Yogger. He had yeah. it in Boston for a little while. Um, when he he went on that big long slump in the playoffs, he was playing well, but it just nothing went in yeah. for him. And he still could get moody. He still could get unhappy. It's, it still could be a thing that could weigh on him because I don't think the notion of pressure ever went all the way away for him. I don't think it ever, like, he, as much as he knew he wasn't the same player, I don't think that the, the idea of the internal expectations of Yager, of the kid whose dad would yell at him every second he was on the ice, I don't think that ever vanished for him. So that would have been the only problem with putting him back in Pittsburgh, I think. True. Bruce, I have one last question for you. Talking to Bruce Arthur here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Uh, follow him at Bruce underscore Arthur. Follow his work in the Toronto Star. Bruce, somebody this weekend, when it became clear what was going to happen, uh, finally happened, asked me about Yarmir Yager and, and, and what my thought was. And I said, my thought is this. He missed three years because he went to the KHL. He had an entire season wiped out because of a lockout. And he also had parts of a couple of more seasons wiped out, probably a full season wiped out because of two shortened seasons. So when I think of Yarmir Yager, and maybe this is just me being a Penguin uh, follower because of my career, I think of the guy who is the only guy that really could have challenged Gretzky's goal record. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it still would have been a bit of a reach just because, but but Yager used to do that math. Yeah, like there were times and later in his career when you know this is where I'd be if I hadn't done away. He would have added another 200 games. Mm-hmm. He would have added like 200 to 240 games. He would have added another 150 to 180 to 200 points. He really still could score. But that's the thing is that over a career that long, to get to where where he got required everything. Right. Right. Like the. the Hockey's a game that some guys, some genetic freaks, can play for a really long time. Gordie Howe being, of course, the best example. But Yager, in the end, for a guy that some people kind of wrote off as a bit of a glory boy, as a kid who had too much fun, he maxed out his career in the end. Like he, after the time in Russia, and one of the, the problems he had in Russia, of course, was he was on the bench when Alexei Cheriponov died uh, on the bench, had a heart attack and died. Uh, and that really that bothered him. Uh, and he didn't talk about it a lot. He only talked about it, I think, when Rich Harvey had his heart issue. But that bothered him. And when he came back, he really, really worked. And one of the things he said to me once, and this is something that I really, I really loved in the piece because I, I think it was, it was important to kind of, to kind of understand him later in his career. Is he said, I think I got to the point where hard work makes me happy. 
And I think that's the best thing that happened to me in my life. Interesting. Some people are happy when they have a day off. I'm the opposite. I don't know why it's that, but it's just me. And I think I'm just doing that to be happy. In the end, he needed it. And not a lot of guys are like that. And I bet when he goes to Kladno, when he goes home to the team he owns, I bet Yarmir Yager will be skating at midnight in that little dinky arena with weighted vests and weighted ankle weights, and he will never be able to give this game up. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure why that is, but it's something that makes him happy. It's something that's at the core of him. And he wasn't always a happy guy. That's what he found. That's where he found peace. Interesting stuff, Bruce. It's a great column. Thanks, as always. Enjoy the swimming. That's Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star. This is the Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh.